It's time again for the TCU Food Bank's Taking Care of You podcast. I'm your host, Spud McConnell, and we're going to talk about how you can help feed the hungry and the homeless down in South Louisiana. So let's chew the fat, huh? Now make la vie, as the Cajuns say on the TCU Food Bank's Taking Care of You podcast. Okay, so we're talking to Keith Weissite, who is a licensed clinical psychiatrist, psychologist, can you Licensed could, clinical social worker. Social worker. Yeah. I thought you were a shrink. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm similar to a shrink. I don't, I don't order medication for people, but I'm the one who listens. They're the ones who order the medicine. Yes, yeah, you order the medicine. You tell them to go. This guy reads like a big dose, you know, and not them little eyedropper kind. <laughs> That's he needs, exactly he needs right. the chug-a-lug, right. you know. Large, actually, large needle. Do they? Do you actually get to uh, to recommend that kind of stuff in speaking to a psychiatrist? Actually, they're, they're very open to that because it's a team approach. So mm-hmm. very often in psychiatry, we want to make sure that we're covering all the bases. And so they want to know what, what we identify, and we can diagnose. So social workers can diagnose if you're licensed. Yeah, but so, you can't But you can't prescribe. We cannot prescribe. But because so. your diagnosis carries a lot of weight with them, you almost practically are diagnosed. Uh, Prescribing. That is correct. Oh. That is correct. And they then they keep up with all of the newer medications. For example, if you're seeing somebody that's got schizophrenia and they need an injectable, and so we have a lot of these different mm-hmm. injections that they can do monthly or weekly, that actually can help if we're seeing a lot of those positive symptoms. I have I have interviewed uh, several people on different levels of you know. The health yeah. and mental health field. Well, yeah, and I'm trying to figure out their exact titles, and it was kind of close to yours, but it wasn't exactly the same thing, but it's been a long time. Right. They're probably a psychologist. Well, one of them was, but okay. there was somebody who was a, 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 a clinical social worker, kind of like you, but it wasn't exactly the same title. Okay. But she's the one who told me that. A lot of people don't know this, but um, schizophrenia, you can actually take a scan of somebody's brain, and you see lesions and holes in their brains. It is actually a medical condition that affects people mentally. That is correct. That is correct. So the field of psychiatry is under the umbrella of neurology, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Because they're identifying, they're figuring out problems that affect people's brains, and it manifests itself behaviorally. That's so scary. It really is. It really is. So all psychiatrists are actually under that umbrella. They're, they're medical doctors. and That then, is correct. So it's kind of like a psychology degree and a medical degree makes you a psychiatrist. That is correct. How great. many psychiatrists actually, I mean, you sit down and listen to people. How many psychiatrists actually do that? Or are they over an umbrella like a thing, you know? It actually depends on what where area they're working in. So if they're overseeing hospital work, mm-hmm. it's where a lot of psychiatrists work. They're sitting down and listening to people and part of the treatment plan for what that person needs. And a lot of those people have had an exacerbation. So they're in the hospital because they're unable to function. So that is that particular role. But an outpatient psychiatrist actually gathers data. They gain information from the social worker or the psychologist that's seeing them, mm-hmm. and they, they base their treatment plan on that. So they actually do sit and listen. But talk therapy, which is something that psychiatrists don't do, is often done by an outpatient social worker or a psychologist. And you, I mean, you have a degree in psychology? or I actually do. I have a bachelor in psychology, mm-hmm. and then I went on and got my master's in social work. And then I'm clinically licensed as an LCSW. That's that stepping stone. I got a degree in theater. I so know I can, that's I can right. pretend I'm so you, nutty. Right. Yeah. Or, or you can be, you know, you can be who I, I'm not necessarily one of those, but I yeah. play one on TV. Well, I mean, you know, when I when I got my master's degree, okay, my thesis role was on Big Daddy. Right. 
and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And my director, when she cast me in this thing, we sat down and talked. I'm going, you know what? I'm going to pretend, because this is going to be Burl Lives in the movie and, and Fred Gwynn on a redo on Broadway with Elizabeth Ashley. It was a fabulous performance. I said, I am going to treat this like nobody's ever played this part before. And I'm going to do all my research on my own and all that kind of stuff. And she says, this is a great idea. And then she kept feeding me all these articles from everybody who was, <laughs> or critiques or reviews. I'm going, right. I, I'm not approaching it like that. Right. Right. And I went and talked to, uh, I had a cousin uh, by marriage, first cousin by marriage. Uh, he died of, uh, of uh, colon cancer, okay. which is what Big Daddy had. He called right. it a spastic colon, spastic but basically, colon. Right. you know. So, I mean, I talked to her about, you know, when he first got in the symptoms, all the way up to the point where he passed from it, you know. And, I mean, she's like, she was just to the point where she'd go, you know, they sent him home. There was nothing they could do for him. She had morphine, you know, to, to mm-hmm. keep for the pain. Mm-hmm. And when I, by the time I was, I was talking to her about it, she was like, yeah, the last couple of months, she's like, we had said our goodbyes. And basically, mm-hmm. if I'd overjuiced him and OD'd him, it would have been, you know. Right. She wasn't even. She was past the point of, I guess, feeling bad about it. Right. You know, because she she didn't really kill him because the, the the disease killed him. Correct. But, I mean that 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 conversation there made me go sit down and talk with other people about what's it like reaching the, reaching that experience. kind of stuff. And it's 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 different for every every case. Period is completely different. It really is. And so what that leads right into is what I do more specifically as a social worker, which is home health and hospice. I spend my days dealing with and treating patients on home health and hospice and helping them with that transition. So rather than do talk therapy one-on-one, I do more group work, same fields, cancer and Alzheimer's, but I also, with family work, I work with people who are approaching illness and then towards death and dying. And how many people choose home hospice as opposed to going to a hospice center? Well, well, since we don't have a hospice center here in our area, oh, okay. the closest one we have is in Baton Rouge, Lafayette, New Orleans. Yeah, my sister-in-law passed a couple of years ago in in-hospice. Yeah, you know. and did an inpatient, we call them a hospice house. Yes, that's exactly what this was. It was right. run by the Catholic Church. And, yep. and she, uh, yeah. Although she fought it a long time. I, I want to get better. I'm going to get better. And it's like the doctor would come talk to my wife after goes, she, she can't survive. She's either got to have surgery or chemo. And she can't survive either one of them. Right. But she, as long as she says she's willing to try, I can't go, no, you're going to hospice care. Right. You know? Right. And I, man, my wife wasn't going to talk her into that either. Mm-hmm. If she had a glimmer of hope, we right. went for it, and then she finally just realized it herself, and then, you know, two you know, weeks later. I think much like your perspective on Big Daddy and playing that role, it's interesting how people look at and think about their end of life. Mm-hmm. And I, the first thing I did when I started with Charbonne Home Care was I wrote a program about advanced care planning and that's all about how it is that we see what we want at the end of our life much like you investigated and and negotiated talked about that role and saw that everything was different Mm -hmm. hope means something different for different people Mm -hmm. and what hope can mean for us right now if i get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer versus colon cancer hope means two different things based on those two different Mm -hmm. cancers yeah now, if I get diagnosed with a glioblastoma, which is the fastest growing tumors, typically in the brain, that's different. My diff- perspective on hope is different than if I had skin cancer. True. And that's how all those things are kind of yeah. different. And it, and then the, I mean, it's to the point now too, though, so many years later, that the big C is still scale, scares everybody, but there's still a lot of 
there's a lot more things that can be done now that could be done, couldn't be done 20 year months, 50 years ago. That doesn't exist anymore. However, it's not cured. Right. You know, and I mean, it just depends on how early you catch it, you know, because yeah. I, I knew we have a friend, Maureen and I have a friend. She discovered she had stage four colon cancer and it took her two, three years, but she beat it. Mm-hmm. But she's like, you don't want to go through what I went through. Right. You know, I mean, a colonoscopy is nothing. <laughs> right. You know, I got to go. With, that kind I, of I got to go. I, I, and my next one's in 25 because I'm a polyp machine. You know, okay. I go, they go find polyps right. in there. And it's like not every polyp turns into cancer, but every cancer started as a polyp. polyp right. Every time I go, they find four or five polyps of different sizes. Wow. You know, wow. so it's like, yeah, I'm going. Yes, because I, I saw how my cousin passed, and I don't want to go that way. Not doing that. Not even close. Yeah, and so it's so very interesting just to see. I, I wrote an article about that very thing called the Big C, and that very often we don't hear anything past cancer. Mm-hmm. But it's ironic that you bring this up right now because just a month ago was the 30-year celebration of Jim Valvano's speech that he gave, never give up, don't ever Mm -hmm. give up. And 30 years later, his daughter, his best friend, and I want to say one other family member all had three cancers that had they gotten them when Jim Valvano was diagnosed, they'd all died from it. But all three of them beat it Mm. based on how far we've come. Yeah. Same thing like you mentioned with being able to, to identify with schizophrenia. Same thing that we have now with diagnostic testing. We can determine which type of dementia somebody has by a PET scan. So we can be more specific about what our treatment plan is based right, well, on what area of the brain. What's a PET scan? Okay. So a PET scan Because is... I'm thinking about your dog. Because, you know, <laughs> we hear about how dogs can sniff out... You know, it's like, oh, well, they're going to come yeah. sniff my crotch. Tell me Uh-oh. if I got, you know, yeah. if I got uh, Lance Armstrong disease or something like that. What is a PET scan? <laughs> like the guy that went to the went, yeah. to, went to the uh, to the vet and he said, you know, we need to get some work done. And it was $5,005. And he said, well, what was the $5 for? I said, oh, that was for the medicine. We said, what was the 5000 He said, when I ran my hand over your cat, that was the cat scan. Oh, so, boy, that hurt. Yeah, but I'm sure. But, <laughs> yeah, really. uh, but a PET I'm scan. I'm going to get some symbols yeah, next time. <laughs> but a PET scan is actually just an advanced MRI. Mm-hmm. It is something that we can do where we use a uh, this dye that goes into the body where they can see some of the areas of where the brain is having tissue damage mm-hmm. and a breakdown in the brain of the senile plaques is what we call them with dementia, where you can actually see the part of the brain, frontal temporal lobe dementia versus vascular dementia versus Alzheimer's dementia. So there's actually nine types of dementia most people don't realize. No, I yeah, didn't. Parkinson's I mean, I have a, being one of those. I have a very good friend of mine with the high school with. He and I graduated together. His wife was uh, two years behind him. She's like in her mid fifty. Well, no, she's got to be 60 now. But, I mean, she's had Alzheimer's for the last 10 years. 10 going, years? Where did that come from? She's 50 years old. She's yeah. got Alzheimer's. And it's to the point where, you know, I didn't know about it. He's a pharmacist. I was interviewing him on TV about how some big farmer rips you off and different things like that. And after we got off the air, I said, so how's Pi doing? He goes, someday she recognizes me. We're going, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. So, I mean, but now, 
we're talking, she's had this for years. Mm -hmm. So you're saying to me that it's, it's possible if you do the right scan, you might be able, can't stop it. Correct. But you might know it's coming. Right. And two things. You mentioned how is it that somebody that young gets it? That's early onset dementia. So anybody that gets dementia prior to age 65, it's called early onset dementia. That early onset dementia typically moves very, very quickly mm. as compared to somebody who gets it when they're 100. So earlier than 65 and over age 100 moves very quickly. Yeah, I would say so. I yeah. mean, anything over age 100, right. I mean, you know. But, uh, yeah, and so it's just kind of very interesting. The second thing is the Alzheimer's Association has just announced just in the last two months that there is a new medication that the FDA just approved that can actually slow down dementia progression. Mm -hmm. And it's for early diagnosed dementia, early stage dementia. So if you so and I... So if they're 100, it's too late. Yeah. If you made it to 100 anyway. Yeah, yeah. why don't we, you, you know. know. And so you'd think somebody 100 and they say, well, God, you would just be happy you're 100. Well, tell me that when you're 100. Yeah, right? really. You know? <laughs> well, it's like that old guy who was in, you know, he was 100 years old. What do you, what do you, what do you attribute long life to? He goes, I drink and smoke. <laughs> the George Burns theory you know, what of, the hell? Uh, of living long. Yeah. Uh, my 93-year-old aunt said the same thing. She went and had a procedure done. She had to have an AVR, an aortic valve replacement. And so she said, well, Doc, how long is this going to last? And he said, well, on average, seven to ten years. She said, only ten years. And her son said, Mom, you're 93. Well, well, are you going to be bothered at 103? She said, well, I might want to live longer. Yeah. And so I guess it depends on your perspective. Yeah, so. everything depends on suspect. Yeah. Tell me about uh, the, the company you work for and then how people, because, I mean, a lot of times, for instance, okay, you're talking about dementia, these things. I I don't know. I'm getting older. I'm getting forgetful. Am I got on instant dementia or am I just lazy? You know? Um, so or, or is it stress? And oh, so, please don't talk to me about stress. No, I'm not I gonna tell you what you do or have to no, do. No, I'm stressed out yeah. like a woolly boat. So man. but I work for Terrible Home Care. And so Terrible Home Care is the last of the local home health agencies in our area. There are no How others. many were there before? Is that was they victims of Ida or something? No, not necessarily victims of Ida, but they were victims of kind of what we talked about earlier. How you know, video killed the radio star. Well, yeah, you know, somehow this larger than life entity called National Companies. All of our companies in our area have sold out to larger national are not here companies. Yeah. So Terminal Home Care is the last one. So where we used to have four or five locally owned agencies. Now we have just terrible home care. And so I actually came in as the director of social work and the director of specialty programming. And now I'm the director of social work and the director of business development for that company. So what we do is we're a local home health agency that provides skilled nursing, social work, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and, and aid to people that need more help at home. Interestingly enough, talking about dementia and those things, I met with one of the gentlemen that I played tennis against in high school this morning. I met with him because his brother, who is not even 60 years old, similar to Pi, has got dementia. And his was because of some metabolic changes when he was younger, that that's how it's affected his brain. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we're working on getting some help. The first thing that people need with that is help and education. My job is to do education. I started the very first support group in this in Terrible Parish in 1991. I, that's a long that, time that, ago. That's a long time ago, man. <laughs> yeah. I so, don't, uh, you know, the, the thing of it is, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't know where to even think that I need your help. So, 
first off, how do people get in touch with you? And B, what should they be looking for to have, you know, it's like, I, I, you know what? There's something wrong with my brother. There's something right. wrong with my mother or something like that, you know? Well, I'll use I'll use the example of today, a gentleman. And, and so, again, played against him in tennis in high school. He went to Terrebonne. I went to South Terrebonne. He knew me, but we have three area support groups. They're in the three different parishes, one in St. Mary, one in uh, Lafouche, one in Terrebonne. And so we have these support groups through the Bayou Region Alzheimer's Services, B-R-A-S. And thanks to Courtney Kyrer, we have our own 501C, and we provide education globally to people that need more help. My number is on that sheet, mm -hmm. and three people just in the last two weeks have reached out saying, hey, reached out, I know, you know, the, this one guy talked to someone who helps us run the support group. He's like, look, I'm having these problems with my brother. I don't know what to do. She said, oh, here's Keith's number. Call him. Yeah. And that's kind of how that happens. And, you know, much like you know a lot of the work that I do with HTV, people know that they can reach me through there. But there are 10 warning signs to people that may have dementia. All right. Well, let me let me say this. Okay. Because I'm remembering this commercial I haven't seen in a while. But all of a sudden they're looking around for, you know, um, Mom's lost her keys again, and they're in the refrigerator. Okay. Hmm. I use that analogy. I, I, I don't leave my keys in the refrigerator, nor does my wife. But my wife constantly misplaces her phone and her keys. But shes I've been married to almost 30 years. You know what? And she's, she's all, been doing that for 30 years. She just puts it down. Like, she'll right. come in. Like, we have a drawer right by the front door that all the keys go in. Okay? Right. We'll put the keys in there. And then she'll start looking for keys. Where's her keys? Uh, they're in the back. They're right. by. They're in the kitchen because she carried groceries in. And she dropped them on the counter. Right. So I mean, that's not dementia. That's just no. like you know, so, you're busy. So what it is or what it isn't. One of the things that I do when I help educate families is I say, look, if you can't find your keys, that doesn't mean you have dementia. If you don't know what those keys are for, that may be dementia. If you walk into a room and you're not sure what the hell you went into that room for. Mm -hmm. That's probably not dementia. If you don't know whose house it is, that may be. Okay. I'm a, I'm a room guy, but I'm not a house right. guy. I know. Yeah. I yeah, know what house I don't want to get right. the hell out of this. Right. I don't want to be here to begin right. with. You know? not, knowing where, not knowing where your coffee cup is is one thing. When it's in the freezer... Mm, yeah. Maybe a hint. Yeah, yeah. So, so those are some of those some of those simple things. You know, not knowing what day it is occasionally is one thing. Oh, please. But I... if you miss mass every week because you don't remember it's Sunday, that may be dementia. Or so, you're a heathen. Well, yeah, Could no, be a heathen, the choice of not know, going to mass you know. is different. Yeah, oh. we, heathen's a good word. We use that with some of our friends who they're like, did you go to church? No, no, I'm a heathen. Like, yeah. that's that's like her yeah. line. That's the line that she uses. So, yeah, so there are these warning signs, you know, uh, not knowing time and place, asking repetitive questions. The one big thing for Alzheimer's type dementia is the repetitive storytelling. They tell the same story over and over again. Mm -hmm. That's one of those big hints. They don't remember that they told you told that story. That story. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people think, you know, especially when you find like grandparents or something, which, by the way, I had no grandparents and my kids have no grandparents. So, no grandparents. Y'all just decided grandparents were not an option in this no, family? No, my I'm parents and my wife's parents. Well, no, the same they thing. They just died early. But they died. They, all four of my kids' grandparents were dead by the age of 70. And I tell them, look, 
I'll be 65 this year, and I got diabetes. So you better figure out how to stand on your own two feet. That's exactly right. It's but, about time to be on your own. Yeah. I had a grandmother when I was born okay. uh, who passed when I was two. Uh, but my mother was the youngest of 10, and so I had a lot of grandparent age aunts and uncles. Sure. You know, so... They and then my father was the youngest of six. My Aunt Lois was kind of like our, you know, surrogate grandma, mm-hmm. something like that. So technically, I guess, you know, but... Well, and much like our discussion early on, we're seeing so many of these people that are dealing with these issues that are before age 65, 70, 75. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting how people, after diagnosis, people who have early onset dementia, they typically live three to five years once they're diagnosed much like those people who are 100. And then those people that are in their 70s and 80s, they mm-hmm. live some five to seven, uh, nine to seven yeah. to nine years. And then uh, I just I just 12. found out a good friend of mine's got uh, dementia. He's a couple of years older than me. And his wife just had a heart attack and died the other day. So it's kind of, they had no children. Wow. So now they're all working with their friends going like, how are we going to take care of our buddy? You know, who's going to make the, he's got a brother uh, you know, so they're all, whatever, they're all trying to figure it out. And so that's why I spend a great deal of time and energy, Spud, trying to help educate the masses about what to do. We shared with probably 75 people over a two-week period about making financial plans early mm-hmm. because it's so important for the what-ifs. Yeah. I that scenario you just said. Yeah. Yeah. I did it until I got fired. No, no. There went all my financial plan. <laughs> no more financial planning. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah. Not going to tell you who fired me. <laughs> Excuse me. Whoops. I'm sorry. That came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, those things are how we kind of deal with that in, in early planning and yeah. early preparation, which is why I do this advanced yeah. care planning. Well, he's been retired, my friend, but I think, right. you know, um, Tell people how they can get in touch with you and then where they can go online because you said the 10 signs and I'm out of time. Right. Where can they go to find out more online and how can they get in touch with you? So people can reach out to me either through the studio HTV at 985-876-3456 or you can call me directly. I'll give you my number, 985-291-0884 if you have any questions. But you can go to the Alzheimer's Association and type in 10 warning signs. That will give you those warning signs. And then if you have more questions, reach out and call me, and I'll be glad to meet with you like I did with my yeah. friend today. Well, it's like, it's, it. it's, I think it's important for people not to self-diagnose and not to overdo it, you know. But they but should have a working themselves. knowledge so that when they do come to talk to you, they can cut to the chase, and you can tell them, you know, say, okay, this is what I think. And you can ask them a question going like, has this happened? Then maybe you not see that right, you know. But mm-hmm. the fact is, they it's, it's too easy it's too easy for people to go overboard. Right. But it's if you don't do some kind of preliminary work, you're either too scared or you're too lazy. Right. And neither one of them is going to serve anybody any good. It's not going to help. The other thing they can do is talk to their primary care doctor and consult with a neurologist. Those two things are very important. Meh. Keith, thanks for joining me, man. Very, I am very glad to be here. I appreciate that. Well, we'll have to do it again. We shall. Yeah, and I need to come back to HTV and talk about nonsense. That's exactly right. I don't want to get over here talking about heavy-duty stuff. I'd rather go talk to you on TV and just talk about ridiculous stuff. Those are always much fun. I got a pile of ridiculousness. And and I and I can I can find a way to shuffle through it. Would you? Yes. I'll bring the cards. Bring bring the stuff. All right, wrapping it up right after this. Spun here. Do you have an organ donor designation on your license? That's great, but how about your blood type? Make things a lot quicker for EMS. Go to scaryfast.com to get the ball rolling. Scaryfast.com is scary fast. 
Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? The next time you have to travel, take along a couple of pounds of Parish coffee, and you won't be missing New Orleans for long. Brewed right here in the land of coffee lovers, Parish coffee has the taste you're looking for. From dark roast to coffee and chicory to flavored coffees like Bananas Foster or Bourbon Pecan, French Vanilla or King Cake or you name it, Parish coffee has a flavor just right for you. Look for the bright purple bag in the coffee aisle of your favorite market. Or order it online, have it sent right to your door. What a perfect gift for any coffee aficionado. Sip the soul of New Orleans in every cup of Parish coffee. Spud here, you shouldn't put it off any longer, even though it's been pushed back to 2025. What am I talking about? The real ID. Get your scary fast. Go to scaryfast.com to find the ABC title office nearest you.